Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> <laughs> This spooky season, The Other Stories presents a series of specially cooked up Halloween tales of a new episode every day in the week leading up to October the 31st. Join British horror icon Emily Booth, face of the Horror Channel, as she hosts the Halloween Horrors of Old Mill Lane, one of our most ambitious audio productions to date, with stories from Andy Conduit Turner, Mike Garley, Jasmine Arch, John Crinan and Ben Errington. Starting on Sunday the 25th of October, the episodes will premiere on Facebook and YouTube at 9pm and appear on the podcast feeds shortly after. Today's episode is The Cyndia, written by Cindy Gradle and narrated by Jasmine Arch. The boardwalk seems less crowded than usual for a late September evening. There's plenty of space available for my bicycle on the rack next to the fudge shop. I'm greeted with the familiar medley of smells and sounds as I briefly mingle with a group of spirited teenagers eating curly fries. Chirping robotic voices flow from a nearby arcade. Exaggerated zaps of lasers from high-priced video games are followed by the simple mechanical bell signifying a winning skee-ball round. I absorb the intoxicating smells of caramel corn and cotton candy and all the other delicious gooey treats you would never eat anywhere else. This place is my home now. Ocean City, America's favorite resort town. I'm not sure who voted on that, but it's on the sign that greets you as you cross the bridge into this barrier island on the southern end of New Jersey. I spent many summers here in my youth. 
My siblings and I would run up and down the boards from the souvenir shops to the arcades to the sweet fudge and candy stores. The roller coasters and other rides kept us engaged all evening. What I loved more than anything else was spending hours on the sunny beach and swimming in the beautiful Atlantic. When I turned 60 last year, I decided to move here to escape the brutal Midwestern winters. I sold my bungalow, found myself a modest ranch house, and began the retirement I had always dreamed of. Technically, I live across the bridge in a town called Summers Point. As it turns out, America's favorite resort town is just a bit above the price range of a retired postal worker. But I'm only a short bike ride away from days of swimming and reading in the sun and nights of strolling on the boardwalk. This evening is particularly warm and humid. Even the normally boisterous seagulls seem tame while they wait on the railings for a child to drop a delicious morsel. A feeling of restlessness has prompted me to go for a sunset swim. I step down the ramp leading off the boards and onto the warm sand at 16th Street Beach. Ignoring the so-called designated beach hours, I work my way towards the water. Being a woman over 60 is kind of like having an invisibility cloak. No lifeguard or beach patrol even notices me. Who cares if this old lady breaks the rules and decides to go for an evening swim? I drop my towel and flip-flops in a place not far from the water. Then I notice the sign reminding me that I have chosen to go for my swim near one of Ocean City's most famous and rather unusual historical sites. The sign explains that this is the final resting place for the doomed ship called the Scindia. The British vessel was on its way from Japan to New York City when it hit a winter storm and ran aground in 1901. Rather than remove the wreckage, officials decided to leave her settled into the sand. The remnants could still be seen for nearly 100 years when tide was low. The giant protruding mast became a familiar postcard theme and tourists often gathered for a photograph in front of the ship's last few pieces. There are many legends regarding the Cindy's cargo and what actually happened the night that she was ruined. Rescuers were able to bring her crew to safety using several recovery teams. However, the ship's captain refused to leave with his crew. He was rumored to have been so drunk that evening that he lost control amid the storm leading to the wreck just off what was then called Peck's Beach. Some say he went overboard, swam out to sea and drowned so as not to face his peers. Others say he was working desperately to save illegal cargo that had been hidden from the crew. What the Cyndia actually held as cargo remains a mystery still. There are tales of beautiful woven silk fabrics, spices and mysterious delicacies. I've heard stories about priceless stolen Chinese relics, religious artifacts and even bricks of gold. I'd even read once that the Cyndia actually sat on top of another ship that had been sunk years before and that there were in fact two sunken treasures lying just offshore in this quiet beach town. There's probably a little truth to all of those legends, but most of the interest in the Cyndia has faded along with her remaining artifacts and scraps. I pass the remains of an old horseshoe crab as I reach the water's edge. The coolness of the ocean is a relief from the heat as I work my way through the frothy waves. I float atop the water as the sounds of Jilly's arcade become a distant hum. The giant pirate ship on Castaway Cove grows smaller and smaller as I drift away from shore. I am at peace. I close my eyes and fade off into happy memories as the last of the setting sun warms my skin. <gasps> I'm pulled back into reality by a... something bumping against my leg. Oh god, 
This is always in the back of a swimmer's mind. Shark. But in Ocean City? I can't remember ever hearing about a shark attack in this area. Now upright in the water and looking back towards the shore, I realize I'd drifted much further out than I'd wanted to. I could barely hear the sounds of the arcades and rides. Nothing from the music pier. Just the distant splashing of the waves breaking along the shore. Don't panic. It was probably just some debris. What do they tell you on Shark Week? Don't make yourself look too much like a sea lion. Great. Those two funnel cakes you wolfed down yesterday probably didn't help. Breathe. I slowly begin a shaky breaststroke. Don't splash. Just keep moving. (gasps) Damn it! I'm frozen. Before I can think of what to do next, an object bursts out of the water and floats next to me. I let out a whimper, then realize that whatever just popped up next to me is not alive. It looks like... driftwood? The sun is now just a pink glow on the horizon, so I have to squint to investigate the object. It's a dark piece of wood that is slightly curved and looks to have been in the water for many years. The edges are ragged, and there appears to be some lettering carved into it. D-Y-A. Dia? The Cynthia? Is it possible that there are still remnants of the ship floating around out there? It's been more than a hundred years, and there can't be anything... (sighs) Suddenly, I'm forcefully yanked beneath the water. My ankle feels like a vice has been attached to it. I have no time to take a breath before going under. My mouth and nose are filled with water, and a terrifying sense of dread spreads through my gut. Oh my god, what the hell is this? This isn't a shark. Maybe I'm caught on something. Oh Jesus. Then just like that, I'm released. I spring back to the top and desperately gasp in air, sputtering and spitting out salty froth. I feel the blood begin to flow back to my ankle where it had gone numb. Panic is then replaced by my instinct to flee. Swim! I'm forcing myself towards the shore. Fuck you, Shark Week. I'm splashing, screaming, doing the opposite of everything in the shark attack survival code. But it wasn't a shark, was it? My heart sends a loud, pulsing sensation all the way to my ears. It's dark now, and I'm using the bright lights of Playland's double shot to gauge my distance from the shore. The giant ride was never my thing, but is now serving as my personal lighthouse to guide me to safety. Please, God, just let me feel the sand. I'm pulled down again. This time with such force that the air exiting my lungs forms a blanket of bubbles all around me, pulling me down into the colder, dark depths. There's no sound. It feels as if I've entered a strange cave with no air or water. Just nothing. I'm released again, only this time I don't propel back to the surface. I'm floating underwater like a lonely piece of seaweed. As the last of the bubbles disappear, I notice something shiny on the ocean floor. Stacked neatly, as if on the shelf of a bank vault, I see gold. How can that be? How could this possibly still be here? And how am I seeing it when it's so dark down here? Down here? My god, how am I still down here? Did I drown? Did I die that quickly? I spin my body around in a circle, having no sense of which direction I need to go. How do I get up? How do I know which way? My lungs feel like I've swallowed liquid metal. I stop spinning just as something passes in front of me. Floating so gently, it seems like it's caught in a breeze and not underwater. It's a piece of white silk fabric, embroidered with the image of the most beautiful and delicate woman I've ever seen. 
It has little red and gold details stitched in endless spiraling patterns. How am I seeing this? How am I seeing all the little details of orchids and birds and each individual leaf on the tree? My eyes move beyond the wafting fabric, past the bricks of gold, and settle upon a beautiful Indian statue with intricate carving of jewels surrounding her waist and breasts. She's crowned with an ornate headdress with incredible detail. Next to her are dozens of other treasures, equally ornate, equally out of place just off the Jersey Shore. There is no freaking way this stuff could all still be here. This isn't real. I'm dreaming it. I'm unconscious and I'm dreaming. I have to make one more attempt to reach the surface. If I'm still thinking, it means I'm still alive. And if I'm still alive, damn it, I can make it to the surface. My body aches as I attempt to propel myself in what I think is an upward direction. My legs are so limp and burning, and my arms are barely able to work through the freezing dark water. I'm grabbed again. This time, I don't resist. Defeated and exhausted, I allow this force to pull me back to the bottom where I finally see what has a hold on me. I must be in some sort of dream state between drowning and death. I'm looking at a man. His eyes are blue and piercing and bulging from their sockets. I can feel his anger. He is staring at me with such rage as though I have disturbed his secret domain. Had I somehow intruded on something sacred? Trespass on a watery grave? I'm no longer able to move. I make no attempt to swim to the surface. I float here silently staring back at this man. This man who couldn't possibly be down here. This man whose face is impossibly intact, whose eyes shouldn't exist anymore, let alone be staring at me with such emotion. I feel myself fading. The darkness pulls me in. I don't know why he chose me. Anger? Loneliness? Who knows what drove this lost soul of the sea to add me to his underwater tomb? My body reaches the ocean floor, gently nestled among the forgotten relics of a century ago. Floating beside me, watching over his ship and her precious cargo, is Captain Alan Mackenzie of the great British vessel, the Cyndia. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. The Cindy was written by Cindy Gradle, narrated by Jasmine Arch, edited by Carl Hughes, with music by Kai Engel and Tom Robson. And sound effects were provided by freesound.org and zapsplat.com. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. Be sure to follow the writer Cindy Gradle on Twitter at, at Cindy Gradle. Also, writer, poet, narrator, podcaster, and all-round chaos for brains, Jasmine Arch, who lives in a nook of Belgian countryside of two horses, four dogs, and a husband who knows better than to distract her when she's writing. Her work has appeared or is forthcoming in the other stories, newmyths.com, and hybrid fiction, among others. Find out more about her work at jasminearch.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help support the show over at patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver you can join our book club and movie club and chat about the podcast over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hawk and cleaver t-shirts and mugs and posters are available at gumroad.com forward slash hawk and cleaver the other stories is a production of the story studio hawk and cleaver and is brought to you with creative commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license that means don't change it don't sell it but by all means share the hell out of it until next time